be reading through Ephesians 3, 8 through 14. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that though the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now I have the privilege of introducing a friend and a former teacher of mine. Uh, so when I was an intern here two years ago, uh, I got to meet Eric Larson, who's going to come up and share. He's got an interesting way of conceptualizing the study of the Bible, and he's a fantastic teacher. So I hope that this gives you um, a new appetite for the Word of God. Please welcome with me Eric Larson. Thank you, Kylan. Hi, everybody. How are you today? Had your coffee? Before I get started, I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story. I came here, I think it was two and a half years ago. I was invited by Albert to um, speak while he was away on vacation playing or having fun or doing something like that. So I was here. And that day, I had a terrible sore throat. I, can't, I just remember that. But regardless of that, the Spirit of God prevailed. We had a great time together. And that led to a class that we taught here. I don't know if some of you took that class. It was called Building Your Bible Skills. It was an overview of the New Testament, and I had done that at other churches as well. And so we had a great time. Kylan was in the class. And the goal of that class was to provide an overview of the New Testament in about eight weeks to provide some structure. And so I taught the class here. I taught it at my home church, Cornerstone Fellowship. I taught the same class in Walnut Creek. At Walnut Creek Press, I taught the class also in Danville at uh, Community Presbyterian Church. And while I was teaching at Cornerstone, one guy in the back of the room, I never forget, his name is Bob Wyckoff. He goes, Eric, Eric, this is good stuff. You should write a book. And so I did. And so you helped me write this book. Because it was the insights that I gained during my time here at Regen that went into the structuring of this book together. This book is called Frameworks. It's an introduction to the New Testament. It's an overview of the New Testament. It's a survey of the New Testament. But it is in a totally different format than you have ever seen. Because it's not packed full of words. It's got photographs. It's got charts. It's got maps. And the tagline of the book is, How to Navigate the New Testament, An Extraordinary Guide for Ordinary People. And that's who I wrote it for. I wrote it for you. I didn't write it for PhDs in a seminary somewhere, nor did I write it for people who want to read the Bible for dummies. We're not dummies in this room. We are ordinary people who want to know the Word of God, but who need a guide, who need a guidebook, who need some way to get into it. And so that's why we... We wrote this book, and I brought along a number of them, and they're out in the courtyard. Now, my good friend Charlie is going to be there making them available to you right outside the door afterwards. And we launched this book about a month ago at Cornerstone Fellowship. It was the same kind of thing. I was up on stage, and I had the opportunity to introduce the book. Do you know how many people bought the book afterwards? Over 600. 
hundred people purchased this book. I was in in tears before God saying, Lord Jesus, you really want to get out there. So anyway, enough shameless plugging of a book that I wrote. (laughs) If you're interested, you can take a look at the copies back out there and you can purchase one. This morning, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I understand you've been going through the book of Luke. Is that correct? Yeah. Do you like Luke? Yeah, I love Luke. We went through a a week-by-week, verse-by-verse study of the book of Luke a couple years ago at Cornerstone. I taught that. It took us like a year. I think Albert's doing it in longer than a year. God bless you all. But anyway, Luke Luke is a historian. He's a researcher. He is a Bible writer. And I don't know if you knew this, but he was the closest associate of Paul near the end of his life. And in the end of 2 Timothy, Paul says, only Luke is with me. And we all know that Luke was a medical doctor. Did you know that? He's a physician. But what you probably didn't know is that in those days, many medical doctors were slaves. When you think slaves in the New Testament, you think this Roman movie that you saw, Spartacus or or Ben-Hur or something, with all these poor wretches that are chained together and don't have any education. No, 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 no. Luke was possibly a slave because in those days, medical doctors were slaves. And retail business owners were slaves. And teachers were slaves. And nurses were slaves. And anybody who wanted to serve the Romans... Uh, They educated those people from the group of slaves that they had. So this is kind of new news to me, too, that in that culture, in those days, possibly Luke was a slave. Anyway, you can you can share that at Starbucks tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And they'll say, well, what did you learn at church? I thought that uh, Luke might have been a slave. But today we're going to leave behind Luke. Uh, We're going to take a siesta from Luke. We're going to go to a different place today. And not only we're going to leave behind Luke. But we're going to leave behind Regen. We're going to leave behind Oakland. We're going to leave behind California. We're going to leave behind the United States of America. We're going to leave behind planet Earth. And we're going on a trip, all of us, to the third heaven. This is where Paul went in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said... I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. I have no idea, but I went to heaven and I saw things that I'm not able to talk about. And so we're going to go there this morning. Would you like to go there? Would you like to go with me there? Yeah? We're going to go to the third heaven. There's three heavens, you know. The atmosphere is the first heaven. The universe is the second heaven. And the third heaven is the heaven that God lives in. We're going to go there. And why are we going to go there? Because this morning we want to see something high. We want to see something spectacular. And what we want to see, I would call God's eternal purpose. What is God's eternal purpose? And why are you a part of that purpose? That's what we're going to do today. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. We just read those verses together. Ephesians, you may know is the highest and deepest book in the Bible. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, which we just read some verses out of, is the highest and deepest chapter in the Bible. And chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, are the highest and deepest verses in the Bible. And how appropriate that on our trip to heaven, we would go to the highest place to find 
the highest and deepest thoughts in the Bible. And so before I actually get into those verses, what I'm going to give you this morning, hopefully in about 30 minutes, God willing, is I'm going to give you two frameworks. By the way, do you know what this is? This is my clothing line. Not only I have a book, I have my own clothing line. It's called Frameworks. Do you know what this this logo is? I wore this to Safeway last week. And I wear it purposely to get people going, get their juices flowing. I'm checking out, and the guy that's checking me out, he's probably a 20-something, maybe 23, 24, probably a college student, whatever. And and he looks, and I, I know I've got him hooked. And he looks at that, and he's going, software company, a lot of ticket. Um, he's, he's, doing, he's doing this. I could see his brain moving. And he's trying to figure out what on earth does that mean. And that's actually what frameworks do for you. Frameworks are the conceptual structures that you use to learn something new with something that you already know. You're looking for a framework in which to put it. So when you come to the Bible, you're looking for frameworks because there are new words, there's new places, there are new things. You need some frameworks. So he looks at this and he sees frameworks and he just couldn't help it. He said, okay, what does that mean? And I said, how many books are in the New Testament? He looks at me kind of funny. He goes, I get it. I totally get it. Four Gospels, one history book, nine letters of Paul to churches, four letters of Paul to people, eight general letters to general audiences, one prophecy. That, my friends, is the New Testament. You just learned a framework. You just got something when you came to church today that will never leave you. You will know now there are six groups in the New Testament. It was put together with thought. We can navigate our way through it, and that's what frameworks are all about. So this morning, I'm going to give you two more frameworks. Forget about the book. I'm going to give you two more frameworks, and then I'm going to give you four points. And with these two frameworks and four points, hopefully we'll know about God's eternal purpose. So I'm going to go grab the whiteboard because I need to write on it. So give me two seconds. Can you all see that? Kind of. This is a big square. It has an M. This is the second big square. It has an S. That's a framework. I'll tell you about it in a minute. This is a squiggly... It's supposed to be an infinity sign. You know, it has this thing you just keep going and going and going with a line and another infinity sign. So, okay, that's my sermon. Any questions? (laughs) What is the first framework I have up there? M and S. Think about it. Now your brain is going just like that guy in Safeway. You're going, what does it look like? That is the two worlds that you live in. Oh, You live in the material world. You also live in the spiritual world. They're different. The material world is physical, visible. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can hear it. You can look at it. You can see it. It's tangible. It's got atoms associated with it. That's the material world you live in. But there is also out there a spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, you have God, you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, you have angels. Have you ever seen an angel? I haven't seen an angel. Have you seen spirits? Is Satan real? Yes. 
but he's spiritual. So you have this invisible spiritual world. You have this tangible, physical, material world. And they both are real. And they are both side by side. God became flesh, which meant the Son of God left the spiritual world, came across the border into the material world, took on flesh, and became a man like us. Then he lived on the earth 33 and a half years, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, entered back into the spiritual world, where now today he is in heaven, reigning as Lord and Christ, ruler of the universe, holding all things together by the word of his power. But it's very real. So you, as a person, you have to deal with the material world every day, but hopefully you're also dealing with the spiritual world. So that's one of the two frameworks I want to to start with, that there are two worlds. You live in both of these worlds. Sometimes it's difficult to live in both of these worlds at the same time, but at least uh, they're real. So let me ask you the question. Which world is more real, the material world or the spiritual world? Which is going to last longer? The spiritual world. Yeah, I mean... I used to be a teeny teenager. I'm not a teenager anymore. You know, I used to run, you know, five-minute miles. I'm not there right now. Sorry to say that, you know. Michael Phelps used to win races until last night. It was, it's not, no, no, no. It's not a slam on Michael. God bless him for entering the Olympics again. But you know what? When you get older, you can no longer make that golf swing. You just can't do it. So eventually... Eventually, I'm going to probably look even older. <laughs> and how, how long am I going to live? Well, I don't know. God willing, a few more years anyway. You know, <laughs> I'm starting a new career. You know, and so there's, there is this material world and there's a spiritual world. So we're going to live in the spiritual world a lot longer than the material world. I'll just leave it at that. The second is this line here is time. God invented time so that he could accomplish his purpose, period. Time is a bridge between eternity past and eternity future. God created it so that in time he could accomplish his purpose. In eternity past, there was nothing but God. I mean, that will blow every transistor you have. There was nothing but God. Well, what do you mean there was nothing but God? Where did he come from? Start down that path and you will not get any answers quickly. There, in the beginning was God. And in the very end of the Bible, if you read Revelation chapter 21, 22, now God is dwelling with man who he has redeemed during time. And God and man, man and God, live together in this wonderful relationship forever and ever and ever. So listen. You are going to be stuck with me forever. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to say, you remember that day we were at Regen and so forth? Yeah, we're going to have all these great times together. At the very end of Revelation, an angel comes out and says, let there be time no longer. So time ends. And that also blows your mind. But time is going to come to an end. And at the end of time, we're going to enter into eternity. And in eternity, we will know God's eternal purpose clearly. So let me give you four points this morning. If you'd like to write these things down, this is probably the four things that you should write down. I'm going to talk about four things. Number one, man is the meaning of the universe. 
Man is the meaning of the universe. Number two, Christ is the meaning of human life. Number three, the church is the expression of Christ. And number four, go therefore and disciple all nations. Four points. Here's the first one. Man is the meaning of the universe. And for that, I'm going to go to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, which says, The Lord stretched forth the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. You have three points there. First, the Lord stretched forth the heavens. Can you get a visual of that? Before there was anything, he stretched. I get this. I'm going like this in my visual. He stretched forth the heavens. He just went, boom. Then he laid the foundation of the earth. A little bit more hands-on. He laid the foundation of the earth. And then he formed the spirit of man within him. So what is the most important thing in that verse? And I would suggest it's man. And the fact that man has a spirit means man was created so that he could come in contact in the spiritual world with God himself. That's why we have a human spirit, so that we can contact the spiritual world. The heavens are for the earth. The earth is for man, and man is for God. Isn't that wonderful? The heavens are for the earth, the earth is for man, and man is for God. And also in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have this verse that I'm sure you're all very familiar with. After God created all the things on the sixth day, there was a conference of the Godhead. That will also blow your mind. The triune God had a conference because the Bible says, let us make man in our image. Who's the us? Our God is Father, Son, Spirit. Always has been, always will be. So God said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over all the earth. And the fact that you and I are made in the image of God means that God wants us to express him. My son is in the image of me, for better or for worse. <laughs> and I'm in the image of my father. You know, the older I get, the more I'm turning into my father. I'm going, oh my gosh. Because my father has good points. My father also has some challenging points. And both of them are coming out. But anyway... The image, the fact that we are made in the image of God means that we are in God's likeness. And he, he did that on purpose so that we could express him. The invisible God wanted to be expressed in his creation and he chose us to make that happen for him. So it's, it's all about expression. And then he gave us dominion over all the earth. So we're supposed to be representing him on the earth. So this first point is man is the meaning of the universe. Without man on earth, the universe is meaningless. Totally meaningless. There is no meaning. God created this place and he made man to express him. And without man, there's no expression. So the place is meaningless. Yeah, you might have cats, dogs, some nice trees somewhere, but there is no meaning to the entire universe. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up, you're ready to go to work, you look in the mirror, you get over the fact that you're not awake yet, I want you to say in that mirror, I am somebody. 
God made me in his image. I am the most important person on the planet because I can represent God today. So man is the meaning of the universe. And you can do that tomorrow morning. Please send me an email let me know how that goes for you. One more point on this, and this is interesting. Do you know that you're being watched? Who's watching you? God probably is watching you. He's watching over you. But the Bible says that the angels are watching us. Did you know that? In Peter, it says that the angels are these curious little creatures that are peering over, looking down to see what's going to happen with the Christians. That's what Peter says. They're so excited about what's happening with us, the Christians, they can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Do you think Satan's watching us? Absolutely. Why? Because man is the focal point of the universe. We're what's happening on the planet. We are what's happening on earth today. And without man, the universe is meaningless. So that's number one. Number two, Christ is the meaning of human life. Christ is the meaning of human life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, you have a very interesting verse there. John's a little bit older now in his uh, letters at the end. He says this, and this is going to blow a few of your transistors. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Any questions? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So there's only two kinds of people on the planet. There's only two kinds. Those that have the Son and those that don't. And the ones that have the Son have life. And the ones that don't have the Son don't have life. In, in a sense, they're the walking dead. I was there in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, we all were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. We were the walking zombies on the planet. We were going to work and having a paycheck and eating pizza and having fun. And then at the end of our lives, we just die until we found meaning. And and that meaning is Christ. Christ is the meaning of life. And so that's why John can say, he who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then there's Paul. Paul in Philippians says, for me... To live is Christ. For me to live is Christ, which means Christ is the purpose of my life. Christ is the meaning of my life. Christ is the goal of my life. He says everything else is garbage. Everything else is refuse. So Paul was the most accomplished person in his age. He had advanced degrees. He was very intelligent. He was a man of great respect, but he put all of that aside so that he could know Christ more. And he counted all of that as dung so that he could uh, know Christ. Christ is his life. So, man is the meaning of the universe. That's not quite enough. You need Christ. Because Christ is the meaning of human life. When I was at at, uh, college, way back in the day, I don't know why, but the Lord kind of stirred up my spirit. I wasn't really an active believer at that time. I was kind of wandering away. I had been a Christian for a few years, but I was going through this searching path, this kind of time period where I was kind of out there. Anyway, um, I was down at UCLA on the campus there, and I saw this ad in the paper saying, Christians are getting together on campus over at this place. Come, we're just going to sing some songs and have some fellowship. And whatever reason, that just kind of jumped out of the paper 
I don't know if you've ever had this experience, something jumps at you. So I said, what the heck? So I went down to this thing, and uh, it was just a group. There was maybe 30, 40, 50 people gathered in a room. Two people brought guitars. They were just singing some folk songs, and they got into some Christian songs, and everybody was really into it. There was just a lot of laughter, a lot of joy expressed. It was just a fun time, and I just saw Christ everywhere. I don't know what. It was just out there, and he was so living through this people, and they came after me at the end, and they said, hey, Eric, it's good to see you. Welcome to this, and they were just so flowing with Christ. I was bombarded with Christ in this room. And I didn't know what to say. They said, hey, do you like this? I said, oh, this is far out. You know, this is really far out. So I didn't know how to put into words what I was feeling. And as I left there, I said, these people are way too extroverted for me. I'm an introvert. They're an extrovert. I, I don't like this at all. And I didn't like it because it was too loud and too fun. And, and I'm more like, I want to be quiet. Although you'd never know that hearing me today, would you? <laughs> anyway, I left that place. I said... Whatever they've got, I need that. Whatever they've got, and they're not on drugs, and they're not on, you know, they're not on alcohol, they're on Christ. And whatever they've got, I want that. And so, sure enough, I started meeting with them, and one thing led to another, and I began to have a joy in my life, and I began to share Christ with people, and it was just a great thing. So, man is the meaning of the universe, Christ is the meaning of human life. And if you don't have Christ, I would invite you to find him. Find the meaning of your life. You'll never regret that. And the third point is the church is the expression of Christ. What does that mean, for Pete's sake? Well, I would like to suggest that the church is not this building. The church is not even an organization. What is the church in the New Testament is people. People who know Christ getting together. That's all they had back then. If you read the book of Acts... You don't hear about buildings, you don't hear about organizations, you don't hear about hierarchy, you hear about people gathering together for prayer, worship, fellowship, breaking bread, you know, meeting, Bible study, all of that. And that's the church. What does it mean that the church is the expression of Christ? It means that the church is the body of Christ. The church is his expression. If I was up here today and all you saw was my head, I would freak you out for sure. But you don't. You see this. You see this body. This is my mobile home. If you think about that, your body is your mobile home. Are you your body? Kind of. But not really. You're deeper than your body. You are your soul. Your soul is your personality. Your soul is your unique person. It's your mind, emotion, will, according to the Bible. It is who you are inside. You live in this great home You better feed it, take care of it, get some sleep, you know, so that you can have a living, so that you can be alive. But your body is not really you, but your body expresses you. In the same way, Christ needs an expression. He is the invisible one. He needs to be expressed in the material world. How is he going to do that? Through you and through me. And when we come together, we're the church. And the church is the people of God expressing God together. And that's what it's all about. No body, no fullness. No fullness, no expression. So the church is the expression of Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, you have this kind of sequence here. In in the beginning of chapter 2, it says, We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together and built us together into his habitation. So the church is the habitation of God in spirit. 
God is in this room today. He's here with us in spirit because we are his people sharing and praising and worshiping together. So this is what the church is. So here is here's something that may shock you. You weren't saved to ever be a lone ranger. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're a brick in the wall. You're a, a living stone built into his habitation. So the idea that, that you would be an individual Christian going to heaven someday, you can say that's true and it is true. However, that's not the only thing. There is something more. There is something higher. You were saved to be part of this, this expression which we call the church. And it's together as a corporate expression that we represent God on earth. So in Oakland today... We are the representation and the expression of God here in this room. And if someone wants to find God, they walk in the door. And what do they see? They don't see me. They don't see you. They see God here. There is something going on in the spiritual world that's in this room. And all of us together represent that. And this is uh, what it means to express God as Christ. So now, having all that as a background, let me actually read these verses for you in Ephesians that we read this morning. Paul in chapter 3, this is a great, great portion, says this. To me, Paul, less than the least of all saints. Do you agree with that? Do you think Paul was the less than the least? I don't think so, but he felt that way. If he's less than the least, what are you? Or what am I? To me, less than the least of all saints was this grace given to preach to the nations. Listen. The unsearchable riches of Christ as the gospel. Isn't that awesome? The unsearchable riches of Christ as the gospel. And to bring to light what is the dispensation of the mystery, which from the ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So there is a mystery that God has. He's had it from the beginning of time. And now in these days, he's making this mystery known through the preaching of this gospel. That's what it means. Here's the punchline in verse 10. In order that now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies might be made known through the church the multifarious wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose. There you go. Which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's go slow. There's a lot of stuff in there. In order that now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. Okay. Who in the world is that? Who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies, I might ask? And you have to know that in the angelic realm, in the realm of angels, there's this kind of hierarchy. And did you know this? Did you know that angels don't reproduce? They don't get married. They don't die. They don't have kids. Did you know? I don't know if you knew that before. When God made the angels, he just said, let there be angels, and it was poof. And there, I don't know how many, how many angels are there anyway. Do you think there's more than ten? Yeah, there's probably millions. <laughs> there's probably millions of angels. We're going to meet them someday. I don't know if they're different. Do you think, I don't think they're like clones. I think they're all kind of, there's going to be some that are kind of impish, and some that are going to be kind of quiet, you know. I don't know. Like, and you have your own angel. Do you know that? You have your own angel that were assigned to you. I, I pity the one that was assigned to me. But anyway, you have this angel. He's following you. In the, he's in the car. <laughs> you are not alone. <laughs> so anyway, angels 
don't die. And that's why Christ was made a little lower than the angels. Have you ever read that? For the suffering of death. Since Christ had to die, he's lower than the angels because they don't have to die. Who would have thought? They don't die. They are just there. So in the angel realm, there's a hierarchy. There are archangels. There are regular angels. There are things called principalities. There are things called powers. And there are evil angels. About a third of the angels went to the dark side when Lucifer fell. I don't know if you know this story, but Lucifer was an archangel. And he got pride in his heart. He looked in the mirror and said, awesome. <laughs> so anyway, he, and then he fell because of his pride. And he took a third of the angels with him. So today, in this spiritual realm, you have God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and a bunch of good angels. You also have Lucifer, Satan. You have evil spirits, which are, and then you have evil angels. Those are different. Anyway, so when Paul here is talking about, in order that now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies might be made known through the church the multifarious wisdom of God, he's saying, I need you guys to show to the evil, evil angels out there my eternal purpose. So today, this morning, God is pointing to Regen, and he's saying to the bad angels up there, to the principalities and powers, he's saying, look at Regen. There are people there expressing me. There are people there enjoying me. There are people there that have been saved by me. And now they're coming into the spiritual world and enjoying me. These are my people. And this is my eternal purpose in spite of what you guys tried to do. That is what he's saying here. In order that now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm, might be made known through the church the multifarious wisdom of God. That means all of us had different paths, All of us had different experiences. We were in different places. We didn't even want God. We didn't even need God. We were opposed to God. And yes, in spite of that, you're here this morning. How did you get here? What is your story? You have a story to tell. And your story is part of God's multifarious wisdom. He led you on your path. And he led you here this morning. It's no accident that you're here. You think you came here this morning? God led you here this morning. So that you could be part of this wonderful expression of his, his eternal purpose. So that is his multifarious wisdom, how he brought all of us together of all these different backgrounds, nationalities, races, customs, ages, and put us together in Christ as a beautiful masterpiece. And that's what we are, according to the eternal purpose that he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There you have it, the $64,000 words, God's eternal purpose. This is his purpose. We are living in his purpose today. We are redeemed from the other world to live in his purpose. And then I'll just end with this. Verse 14. For this cause. Do you want a cause? I'll give you a cause. God's eternal purpose. Living Christ. Getting out there um, and expressing Christ in your life. That is God's eternal purpose and that's your cause. So man is the meaning of the universe. Christ is the meaning of human life. The church is the expression of Christ, which brings us to point four. Go, therefore, and disciple all nations. God wants us to spread this gospel. God wants us to spread this word. God wants us to invite people into his eternal purpose so that they can have meaning in their life. They can be expressing him in their daily existence. He wants to build us together into his habitation on the earth to express him to the universe and to represent him on the earth. We represent God on the earth. So God is calling us to join him with him in this eternal purpose. He would have us express him in our daily life, everything we do, 
when we are out there helping people, when we are out there spreading the word, when we're out there doing great things in the kingdom of God, we are expressing him. We're fulfilling our calling. We're, we're responding to the, this heavenly cause that we're in here. So I just invite you this morning, join us in this cause. If you're not in this cause, you can get into this cause very easily. And if you see this vision of what God is doing, you will never be the same. You'll never just go to work again. You'll get up saying, I'm a man. I'm the meaning of the universe. Christ lives in me. He's the, he's the meaning of my human life. I'm a part of a church. I'm fulfilling my calling. And I'm enjoying him as I do that. A few years ago, we wrote a song. I'm not going to sing it. But I could. Here's, the, here's what the song goes. And I'm going to end with this. God eternal has a purpose. Formed in his eternal past. Spreading to eternal future. Twixt these ends, all time is cast. For with time there is the process. Time for his accomplishment. And in time we're merely travelers. For eternity we're meant. God would have a group of people built together in his plan. Blended, knit, coordinated. As his vessel, one new man. God would come into this vessel with his nature, life, and ways. Mingling spirit with our spirits for his joy and to his praise. As the product, the fulfillment, will the church in glory stand. Consummation of the purpose in eternal ages planned. God will have his corporate vessel, all his glory to contain. Lord, we're holy for thy purpose. All your goal in us attain. Let's pray. Lord, so, so blessed are we to be here this morning to enjoy the riches of your life together, to worship, to have fellowship, to read your word, to be fed. Thank you so much that you're a God of purpose that does things with a plan and carries out that plan according to your sovereign will as you desire to do that. Lord, we just pray that in these days and weeks ahead, you'll impress on our hearts how high you created us. You've made us in your image after your likeness. We're no small thing. You are the meaning of our lives, Lord Jesus, and show us that too. Also, let us appreciate each other as we get together. Lord, it's no small thing that we're here together. We're not forsaking the assembly. We're here together enjoying each other, corporately expressing you with your life and your nature and your ways. And Lord, give us a heart to go there for and disciple all nations. Lord, may we bring others into this great purpose and plan that you have for us. May this be our cause. May this be our living. And for all of this, we bless you, we thank you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.